May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Well, time marches on. It's hard to believe that uh, it, it seems like we're just flying through January. And before we know it, it's going to be Lent. And uh, today is, of course, the third Sunday after Epiphany. In this particular season, we will have five Sundays after Epiphany. So we have two more before we switch back to the purple vestments and drop the Alleluia and the Gloria. And uh, that's when we begin our pre-Lent season with the third, with the Sunday called Septuagesima, or the third Sunday before Lent, and that's going to be on February the 13th. And today, on this third Sunday after the Epiphany, we encounter in the Gospel one of the prominent narratives, uh, which is our Lord's first miracle that he performed at the wedding of Cana, And that is found in St. John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And if you're following along in the prayer book, you will find that on page 113 as well. As Epiphany is also known as the manifestation of Christ to the Gentiles, the third Sunday after Epiphany shows us that Christ first manifested his glory to his disciples at the wedding at Cana. So we begin in our gospel passage in St. John chapter 2, and let's begin with the first verse. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, What does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. When it comes to wedding receptions and being a veteran father of the bride, I could tell you that there's a lot of stress in wedding planning in general. And thank goodness I was not responsible for any of the planning. And what I did learn from my daughter's wedding is that there were three specific rules. Number one, Obey the wedding planner in all things. So whatever she told me to do, yes, ma'am. Followed by rule number two, do not run out of refreshments. Very bad form. But also rule number three is to cherish the moment because it is a happy occasion that goes quite fast. And so far, uh, my daughter and son-in-law have been married for about two years. But yet it seems like it was only yesterday. Now, if we go back to ancient times, we also know that uh, in the ancient times, a wedding was a gala event, especially in a small village. It was very much a community-wide celebration. So if you fail to provide adequate quantities of refreshments, of food and wine in particular, that would have considered to be a social disgrace back in the day. And in a community that small, that disgrace would have caused much shame for the newly married couple for years to come. So the mother of our Lord brought this crisis to our Lord's attention. And his response, woman, what does that have to do with me? That, that seemed rather abrupt, but not at all disrespectful. 
because the, the term woman, uh, gune in the Greek, is simply a formal address of how you would refer to an adult female person and also a married woman. So he used that same phrase on the cross in St. John chapter 19, verse 26, when he said, woman, behold thy son. So the question, what does this have to do with me? That was another way of saying, how is that my problem? The reason he gave was that his hour had not yet come. Very curious phrase, which hour? What does that mean? Well, we read elsewhere in St. John's Gospel, so they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. And we find that in chapter 7, verses 29 through 30 in St. John's Gospel. A chapter later, in a discussion with the Pharisees who asked about his father, we read, You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. And that's in chapter 8, verses 19 through 20. But we better understand the significance of this phrase, his hour had not yet come, when we read in St. John chapter 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. We can now see that this phrase has everything to do with his redemptive ministry, culminating with his finished work on the cross in atonement for our sins. So we read on. Let's take a look at the Blessed Mother's response in verse 5 of chapter 2. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. She acknowledged that her son would act independently, and she confidently told the servants to follow his orders. She fully expected that he would take appropriate action suitable to the situation. And he indicated that he was no longer under authority, under her authority, and that he was living by a new pattern timed by the purpose of God. Jesus had begun his miracles, not merely because of the request of his mother, whom he still honored, whom he still respected, but according to the purposes of his heavenly father, which the son fully revealed later in chapter 17, verse 1. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Let's take a little bit uh, closer look at the miracle itself. Let's pick up with verse 6. Now, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, 
Though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. Let's talk about these vessels, these water pots. Well, they did contain roughly 20 or 30 gallons apiece, so that was a very large quantity. And the purpose of these pots, they were used for ritual hand washing according to the social customs of the day, uh, much like uh, present times, except now instead of water, we use copious amounts of hand sanitizer. I don't think I've ever used so much hand sanitizer in all my life, but that's just the nature of the times. What did Jesus do? He had the servants fill these pots to the very brim and told them to draw some out and to give it to the head waiter, the master of the feast. The head waiter was just absolutely astonished by the 100-point wine rating taste. It was simply the best. Usually, when the palate dulls after drinking a few servings, what they would do is pass out the cheap stuff. But who would ultimately know the difference after a few servings? You see, the point of this is that Jesus profoundly satisfied the immediate need in a grand and spectacular way. And other than the servants, for a moment, nobody else noticed the miracle that had taken place. The significance of the miracle is very plain. Our Lord Jesus Christ He has come to bring about transformation, to bring about conversion, changing water to wine, changing us sinners into saints, changing death to eternal life. And this latter miracle of transformation occurred in almost complete obscurity in a very small village in Cana. So how did the disciples respond? Well, let's take a look at verse 11. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples and they stayed there a few days. Well, the effect of this miracle is noteworthy because it marked the beginning of his public ministry accompanied by supernatural power. And it proved so convincing to the new disciples that they put their faith in him. And the miracle itself confirmed the conclusion that they had drawn from previous encounters that they had with him that Jesus must be the Messiah. As we look at Jesus's first miracle, it is important to note that the focus of the miracle is not so much on the wow factor of all of his miracles, but their significance and how, especially in St. John's gospel, that they point to different aspects of salvation and to Christ himself. And the purpose of these miracles is to reveal who Christ is and what he ultimately accomplished on the cross for our salvation. And that by trusting in him, 
In him alone, we have eternal life in his name. Professor Gary Burge, in his book, Anointed Community, wrote, In John, miracles become signs which reveal not Jesus' power, but his glory. The question has changed from what Jesus has to who Jesus is. And Burge concluded the thought with, John has made the miracles intensely Christological. And if one recognizes this divine identity, faith emerges. Thus, the revelation of the signs is intimately related to salvation. The glory of Jesus exhibited in Cana was a sign of him mediating the grace of the kingdom of God in his total ministry. This is the very same grace, by the way, that saves us. Prior to the pandemic, at every Mass, I think many of us who have been here since prior to the pandemic, most of us, I'd say, celebrated and sipped from the same cup. As we heard these words, the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was shed for thee, preserve thy body and soul unto everlasting life. Drink this in remembrance that Christ's blood was shed for thee and be thankful. So until we can get to that place where we can drink from the common cup again, remember that in the meantime, intention where I dip the host, the bread, and then serve it to you suffices for both kinds, the body and the blood as we receive it by faith. So remember that this same Lord Jesus Christ the very same Lord who transformed water into wine is the very same Lord who transforms each and every one of us by the power of the Holy Spirit working in us to renew our minds and to change our hearts. That alone should give us encouragement. But also let's remember as we read through St. John's Gospel and all the different miracles that we encounter in that Gospel points to certain aspects of the gospel with the stated purpose. And the stated purpose of St. John's gospel is given in chapter 20, verse 31. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name, eternal life. So if we ever feel like we're falling short, of the glory of God because of our sins. And I think you've heard me say this before, most of you, that sin would be any thought, word, action, or attitude that falls short of God's perfect standard of holiness and righteousness. We sin by doing the things that we're commanded not to do. And we also sin by not doing the things that we are commanded to do. That's the difference between sins of commission and sins of omission. So whenever we feel conviction for those sins, that is a very good thing. And what do we do? We simply, in faith, turn to the Lord Jesus Christ in repentance, knowing that he is the author and perfecter of our faith. And we trust not in our own works for salvation. Indeed, the works that we perform should come out of gratitude for our salvation as a result of our salvation, doesn't save us. 
because we trust in his finished work on the cross to redeem us with his precious blood unto eternal life. Amen? And we say this in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost.